Presenting Focus on Truth, the Bible teaching ministry of Chuck Bradshaw. Focus on Truth is a non-denominational evangelical Christian ministry to the marketplace. Focus on Truth is dedicated to proclaiming the gospel of the free grace of God and helping people understand the practical relevance of the Bible. Join now with Chuck as together we focus on the truth of God's Word. This is the second in our series that I've entitled Frustration, Failure, and Faith. I've also subtitled it Trusting God in Trying Times. You'll recall that in our last session we looked at uh, some incidents involving Abraham and Sarah and we saw where uh, they tried to help God fulfill His promises because they became impatient and as a result of that their frustration level increased dramatically and we're still feeling the effects of that today. Uh, Today we're going to take up another character from the book of Genesis and that is a woman named Leah. And I have subtitled it, uh, When We Feel Unloved and Unappreciated. Just by way of review, when we talk about frustration, we're talking, uh, Webster defines it, and I put this in your notes, uh, to cause to have no effect to prevent from achieving a goal or gratifying a desire. Incidentally, uh, today in regard, uh, in addition to your notes that you have, that you usually have, you also should have a little, uh, another paper entitled Jacob's Family Tree. Uh, because when we start reading some of these names and uh, these women start having babies, sometimes it's, it's sort of nice to see uh, a picture of how it all fits together. So when we get to that part, you can, uh, you can begin to look at that if you like. But anyway, as I mentioned, uh, we're talking about Leah and uh, when we feel unloved and unappreciated. Uh, none of us want to feel that way, obviously. It is, uh, it is a legitimate longing within all of us, so God put it there. It's part and parcel of what it means to be made in the image of God because we are relational beings, we are emotional beings. Uh, we certainly want to give love, we want to experience love, uh, and preferably we would uh, like to experience unconditional love. We also, because we are volitional creatures, that is, we make choices, we want to do things that make an impact. We would like to think that uh, when we leave this planet that uh, there will be something of us left behind uh, for somebody to see. And while we're here, we would like to think that uh, we have a reason for being here. So we want to be appreciated. We want to have that sense of significance, as it were. Uh, and, and again, that's all normal, that's natural, that's, uh, God intended it that way. I mean, within the context of the, of the Godhead, you see relationships there. And man has been, and when I say man, I'm saying man and woman. Uh, man, humans are created in the image of God. Uh, before the fall, those, uh, those longings were fully met by God, either directly or indirectly. Uh, that is, you know, God gave the man uh, work to do in which he was, uh, in which there was a sense in which he was fulfilled. He could feel a sense of significance. He could look at what he had done in the garden and see that he had accomplished some things. He could see things grow, for example. And although he brought animal, he did, God brought animals to the man, 
for him to name. And of course, it was in that process that the man realized that there was nothing, at least on a physical plane, that corresponded to him. And it was at that point that God uh, performed, as it were, surgery on the, on the man. Uh, we have the first general anesthesia in the Bible. And while the man was asleep, God uh, fashioned the woman from a man's rib, uh, made him a companion. So again, God either directly met those needs or indirectly, as in the uh, example of the woman, where certainly there was, a, there was a loving relationship between the man and God, but because man was also a physical creature, uh, there was a longing that he had there that was not fulfilled, and so God fulfilled that, but he did so indirectly through the creation of the woman. So, after the fall occurred in Genesis chapter 3, those longings still remain, but those longings have been perverted. Uh, that's what original sin is all about. That is, that every part of, the human, uh, of our humanity has been touched and tainted, uh, adversely affected by the presence of sin. It doesn't mean that we're as bad as we could be. We can always get worse. But it does mean even with the best intentions that we have, there is a taint of sin in everything that we, that we do. Uh, those legitimate longings still remain even after the fall. And our tendency is to develop strategies for fulfilling those longings. And one of the chief strategies that we use is that of manipulation. We try to use other people in order to fulfill this longing within us, which is a legitimate longing, but rather than looking to God to fulfill that longing, we demand that other people fulfill that longing uh, for us. In the story of Leah, there are four major characters. There's Jacob, who's the son of Isaac and Rebekah. There is Laban, who is the father of Leah and her sister Rachel. There is Leah, who is uh, Laban's elder daughter, and then, of course, Rachel, who is the younger daughter. Remember, uh, Rachel was the real good-looking one that, uh, that Jacob fell in love with. Just by way of background for the story uh, about Leah, remember that Jacob had, uh, had fled from his brother Esau. You'll recall there was a great deal of favoritism in the household in which Jacob grew up. Uh, Isaac, his father, favored um, uh, Jacob's brother Esau. They were twins, but they were not identical twins. Remember, Esau was the hunter, and he smelled like the woods all the time, and Dad really loved the taste of game. And so there was just, uh, Dad had a, had a real affinity for, for that son. And then, of course, it was Rebecca who had the uh, who had the, the close bond with, uh, with, with Jacob. And through an interesting chain of events in which Rebekah and their son Jacob uh, tricked Esau into selling his birthright and also tricked him, uh, tricked dad, uh, Isaac, into giving the blessing to, uh, to Jacob, that Jacob, uh, because he was threatened by his brother Esau that he would, uh, Esau was going to kill him, that Jacob fled. Uh, Rebecca was not real forthcoming about that. She told her husband Isaac, she said, look, she said, Esau's been marrying these local Canaanite women and they're driving me nuts and we just don't need for Jacob to do that. So how about let's send Jacob up to my brother Laban 
up around Haran and let him take a wife from up there somewhere. So that's what they did. And the, the whole idea was just to get Jacob out of harm's way as it, uh, uh, until things kind of calmed down and eventually he would come back. As far as we know, uh, once uh, Jacob left, he never saw his mom alive again because uh, he was gone for so long. Uh, Jacob uh, traveled uh, to Uncle Laban's and uh, 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 to get to get a wife. And when he got there, uh, one of the per- first people that he saw was Rachel, and it was love at first sight. And of course, that's uh, that's where our story today really begins, because we uh, meet Leah and we see Leah. Uh, in, at the uh, at the beginning, looking for love. That's uh, that's what she's going to be doing, and then uh, and then we're going to see how uh, how all of that works out. Uh, Leah, to a large extent, uh, is viewed by her dad as a commodity, just sort of a pawn in a game in which he can use her to uh, gain as much as he can. He was a very greedy man. Jacob uh, would come to view her as pretty much just a, uh, a producer of sons, sort of a contributor rather than a commodity. And, uh, and Rachel would view her sister as a competitor. So as we read through this, and of course this is, uh, I've had to uh, cut out some parts of passages because there's just not room in your notes. So I hope you've done your homework and read the uh, read the entire uh, reading assignment because if you did, then this will make a lot more sense to you. But we pick up the uh, story in Genesis chapter 29. At this point, Jacob is about age 76 to 77. Yeah, I know that's a long time to live with mom and dad's house, uh, but that's uh, that's what he had done, and so he. Uh, in Genesis 29, it says, Then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. That is, he arrived at Haran where his, uh, where his father, uh, where his future father-in-law, his uncle Laban, lived. It says, As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, that is, that Jacob was present there in those parts, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. And Laban said to him, Surely you are my bone and my flesh. He recognized him as, uh, as kinfolks. And he stayed with him a month. Then Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Now notice what he's saying. Uh, Laban was, was not the kind that would just continue to give and give and give. All Laban was in it for what Laban could get out of it. And Jacob has been there for a month. Of course, he's in love with Rachel because, as I mentioned, they, it was love at first sight. And I'm sure uh, Jacob's just been sort of uh, hanging around with Rachel as much as he can during that time. And he hadn't been doing very much, and Laban's had enough of that. And he says, uh, should you therefore serve me for nothing? In other words, uh, Jacob, it's time for you to go to work. Now let's talk about what kind of wages I'm going to pay you, but you're not going to just sit around. He said, tell me what should your, what shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah. The name Leah means, uh, means weak-eyed or weary. 
Now, why in the world somebody would name their child Weary is beyond me. But uh, anyway, that's her name. It says, uh, it also says that the name of the younger was Rachel, which means you lamb, E-W-E, you lamb. Uh, Leah's eyes were weak. That goes along with her name. And apparently she had weak looking eyes when she was born. So I guess that's why they gave her the name. But Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. And the fact that this is stated this way, just it tells you already about the the way that Leah must have viewed herself constantly comparing herself to her younger sister Rachel and uh, and it's apparent just because of the way they were named that uh, that dad was real aware of that as well it says Jacob loved Rachel and he said well I'll serve you seven years for your younger daughter Rachel and Laban said, well, it's better that I give her to you than I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So notice again, for dad, it's just, it's all a matter of business. How much can I get out of this situation? You want to marry my daughter, how much can I get for her? And Jacob, who's had a lot of experience in the, uh, in the herding business uh, when he was back home with mom and dad, has agreed now to serve for seven years in that capacity. So Jacob, and incidentally, this next verse is probably one of the greatest verses there is about Jacob, at least in terms of, of uh, saying something positive about Jacob, because there's so many negative things you can say about him. But in verse 20 it says, So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love that he had for her. So not only was it love at first sight, this was apparently true love, and the longer he worked, the more he was excited about the possibility of marrying this woman. And uh, we don't know how old Rachel and Leah were. Uh, no idea at all. But again, since Jacob was about 76 or 77, when he arrived in Haran, uh, there at Laban's house, he's going to be in his 80s before he gets married. That is sort of late for getting married, isn't it? It says, uh, Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife. Now notice he had to ask for it. You know, I guess, I guess I'm sure Jacob, if he had a calendar, was marking the days off. And when he says, Give me my wife, it, that makes it sound as if they're already married. But remember, it's very much like the, the story of Joseph and Mary in the New Testament uh, that when Joseph thought that Mary had been unfaithful to him during the engagement period, that he was going to give her a bill of divorcement. So it, it was just part of the Hebrew culture that, uh, that, that during this engagement period, very often they were referred to as a wife, but there was no uh, consummation uh, sexual uh, activity during, uh, during that time. But he, he reminds Laban, he said, look, it's, uh, I just marked the last day on the calendar, it's time. Give me my wife that I may go into her for my time is completed. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob and he went into her. Now, so you, you can see what a sneaky kind of guy this uh, this person Laban is. Now, obviously Laban knew what was going on. Leah 
had to know what was going on because she was the one who was being put in the place of Rachel and Rachel had to know what was going on because she was not going to have a wedding night with uh, this, uh, this, this, this night uh, with, uh, with, with her husband or her future husband Jacob. It says uh, in verse 24, Laban gave his female servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her servant. And then it says that now, notice it says in verse 25, and in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And you say, well, I can't believe that Jacob didn't realize it before. Well, if you understand something about this Eastern culture, you know that when they had these wedding feasts, there was a lot of wine drinking and just a lot of partying and all kinds of things going on. And it went on way on into the wee hours of the morning. And then finally, when everybody, I guess, had either gone or passed out, it was time for the, the bride and the groom to go into their uh, their bridal, the, the chamber, and, uh, and consummate the marriage. And, of course, uh, there's just uh, nobody's in real good condition at that time, and apparently that was kind of what was going on. I'm sure it was uh, it, it was at night, and uh, and so Jacob was just unaware. And in the morning he wakes up, and it says, "Behold, it was Leah." And Jacob said to Laban, "What is this you've done to me? Didn't I serve with you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me?" Now, let's pause there for a minute before Laban answers that question. Now, again, Leah has grown up in an atmosphere in which uh, she's been named weary and weak-eyed, and she's always being contrasted with her beautiful sister, Rachel. And, and now she, uh, she wakes up, uh, she's, she's been switched because her dad is just using her as a commodity for a bargaining chip, as we'll see here in just a minute as we read on. And Jacob's attitude toward her is, good grief, what in the world are you doing in here? I, I, didn't, I didn't serve seven years to get you. So you can imagine how Leah must have been feeling at this, at this point. She just, she's just... Uh, almost chattel she's just being she's just being used for whoever wants to uh, to use her particularly her dad so jacob has asked the question uh didn't i serve uh with you for rachel why then have you deceived me and laban said it is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn isn't that an interesting statement because it, I'm sure what occurred to Jacob when he said that was, remember, that was exactly what Jacob and his mom had done with, uh, with Jacob's dad, Isaac. They had tricked him so that he would get the, get the, uh, get the blessing that uh, Isaac had intended to give to, uh, to Esau. But remember, that, uh, that none of that surprised God. God used the evil... Uh, and the ill intent of uh, of all of these people in order to accomplish uh, his will, because he had already said while Esau and Jacob were in the womb that uh, the older Esau would serve the younger. So um, this is not a surprise. Remember, God always works from both ends at the same time. God's will is never, ever going to be frustrated. Sometimes we think it is, and we think we've got to grab it by the throat and make it work. Or we've got to do so and so, or maybe. Uh, but well, the point is, is that we just we need to trust God. And so here's a reminder 
that, that you don't need to take things into your own hands when God has made promises. God is going to fulfill His promises. But notice what he says. Now here, here again, you see Laban as the businessman that he is in verse 27. He says, complete the week of this one. In other words, okay, you've got Leah. Go ahead and fulfill the honeymoon week with her. And we'll give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. So here's the deal. You've got Leah. You consummated the, that marriage last night. You go on and honeymoon for a week. And at the end of a week, instead of making you wait for another seven years to marry Rachel, I'll go ahead and give Rachel to you, but it'll be sort of on credit. And when you get Rachel, you've still got to work for me another seven years. That's what's going on. Now, again, think about how Leah must have felt about that. Can you imagine a, her honeymoon week when you would think you're just enjoying this time of bliss with a husband? And, uh, and she knows that what Jacob is thinking about that entire week is at the end of seven days, at the end of six days, at the end of five days. Every day he's thinking, I'm getting a little bit closer to being able to marry Rachel and to spend my time with her and, in, and enjoy the uh, pleasures of uh, this, the, the consummation with her. Can you imagine how that must have made Leah feel? And, 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 and the love that she so desired was simply not there from Jacob. And she must have just really, really felt low. And I think we'll see that as we, as we continue. So it says in verse 28, Jacob did so and completed her week. That is, they finished out the honeymoon. Then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. And Laban gave his female servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel to be her servant. So Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah. So there it is again. So there's, there's this competition we're all wanting to be loved, but now all of a sudden, here's Leah, and she's in competition with her sister. She doesn't have Jacob's full attention. In fact, she has hardly any of Jacob's attention at all, as we'll see as we work our way through the story. It says, and, and, and Jacob served Laban for another seven years. So, there's this comparative appearance that's going on that, to cause Leah to feel rejected. She feels like she's being used by her father. And then, and then on top of that, there's Jacob's reaction to this, uh, to this marital union that they, uh, that they have. Well, let's keep reading. Verse 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, in other words, the, 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 the love relationship that Jacob showed for one as opposed to the other was so tremendous that it's like love and hate. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben, for she said, now let's pause here for a minute. The name Reuben means look, a son. That's what it means. Look, a son. Alright, so here's here, 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 they, here are these two girls, the sisters, married to the same guy. Now, Rachel has Jacob's love. She, she knows that man loves her. And I, it's hard to tell, but to some extent, apparently, uh, she must reciprocate, uh, at least to some extent. 
Leah's wanting to experience that, but she's not getting that at all. So now what is she going to do? Is she going to depend on the Lord to provide the, uh, the love and that sense of security that she so desires? Or is she going to try to do something to get that in some other way? Well, one of the things that we see here is that, uh, and, and again, uh, the culture kind of helps us out. Because remember, in that culture, it was important, uh, particularly in a, in a culture where you had a lot of agriculture going on, uh, a lot of livestock, that sort of thing. It was important to have lots of children to work that livestock. But particularly, it was important to have sons. Now, Rachel is barren. So in one sense, she, she, she feels loved, and she has that, that part, but she doesn't have the real significance of being able to do what women were expected to do. Remember, at that time, uh, many women uh, were thought to be cursed by God if they could not have children, because that's what they supposedly were here for, was to, to bear sons for their husbands. And on the other hand, Leah is able to produce children and sons in particular. And boy, she really is going to turn them out, as we'll see. But uh, she is not receiving the love that she wants. So how is it that she's going to deal with that? Well, she has a child, the first child, whose name is Reuben, which means, look, a son. For she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. Notice, for Leah, the way she was going to get her husband's love was by producing sons for him. If I start giving him sons, he's going to love me. Well, let's see if that works. She conceived again and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also, and she called his name Simeon. And the name Simeon means hearing or heard. So, the Lord has seen my affliction, and he's given me a son. Look, a son. The Lord has looked upon me. The Lord has heard that I'm not loved by my husband, so he's given me another son. But, but notice, is, is it working? And uh, again she conceived and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will be attached to me. Notice, she said, well, maybe he's not going to love me, but maybe at least there'll be some sort of bond between us. Maybe there'll be an attachment. Because I have borne... Why? Because I have borne him three sons. Notice, she's, she's trying to get her husband's love by producing sons. Because I have borne him... Uh, I have given him three sons. Therefore, his name was called Levi. And the name Levi means attached or attachment. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, This time I'll praise the Lord. And notice there's nothing about my husband's going to be attached to me. He's going to love me. Apparently, she's sort of just given up on that idea. And she says, I'm going to praise the Lord. And she called his name Judah. And then she stopped bearing. The name Judah means praise. Of course, that's the, uh, that's the tribe ultimately from which King David would come and ultimately the greatest son of King David, the Son of God Himself, the Lord Jesus Christ. Alright, so has, uh, has Leah uh, changed her attitude? 
uh, is she resting in the Lord or is she just resigned to the way things are? It's, it's hard to say. Let's see if we can figure that out as we keep reading. Genesis uh, chapter 30. Now notice, her strategy has been to, to give birth to sons and to earn her husband's love. Because she, she had the assumption, well, you know, apparently God's going to feel sorry for me or He does feel sorry for me and He's going to use this ability to produce sons so that I can win my husband's affection. And, uh, and, it, didn't, and it didn't work. And of course, when our efforts like that don't work, then our frustration level certainly goes up. And you can see the, the declining certainty of Leah's comments because the strategy wasn't working and these feelings of, of rejection that she was experiencing uh, were, were not being assuaged in, uh, in any way. Genesis chapter 30. Here we see uh, Rachel as in, in her competitor role and the way she viewed her sister Leah as a competitor. When Rachel saw that she bore child, uh, Jacob no children, she envied her sister. Now when do you suppose that uh, that began? Well, uh, I suspect it began when, she, when Leah started first having children because uh, that had to be exciting for little boys to be uh, to be born. Here, here's this is this is this is something that that dad's really going to need to to work the help work the ranch. She envied her sister and she said to Jacob, "Give me children, or I shall die." And notice we learned something about something else about Rachel at this point. Not only was she good looking, was she beautiful of form and appearance, but also she was a demanding woman. Because she was frustrated too. She had Jacob's love, but the sense of uh making an impact, the sense of uh uh, being a significant person because she could do what her culture expected her to do to bear sons, she was not able to do that. Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel. Notice now he loves Rachel, but he's getting all frustrated too. Baby, what do you want me to do? I, I'm not the one. I'm doing everything I know how to do. Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel, and he said, Am I in the place of God who's withheld from you the fruit of the womb? Notice what a sensitive guy he is. <laughs> he, he really must have been frustrated that day. Then she said, Here's my servant Bilhah. Go into her so that she may give birth on my behalf, that even I may have children through her. Whoa! Now what is this all about? I'll tell you what this is about. This is the Grandma Sarah solution. Because remember, this is what Sarah said that Abraham needed to do was to go into Hagar. And of course, the result of that was Ishmael. So she gave him her servant Bilhah as a wife, and Jacob went into her. And Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. And then Rachel said, God has judged me. That word judge can also be translated as vindicated. In fact, it is translated that way in the, uh, the New International Version. God has vindicated me. Notice, she, again, she feels as if she's in competition with her sister. And has also heard my voice and given me a son, and therefore she named she called his name Dan, and the name Dan means judge or judged. Has God really vindicated Rachel? It seems that Rachel is stubborn, she's jealous, 
She's willful. We've read all those things about her. And then it says, Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. And then Rachel said, again, notice what's going on between her and her sister. Then Rachel said, with mighty wrestlings, I have wrestled with my sister and have prevailed. Prevailed? Well, it's like a contest. And she said, I'm, I'm having babies now. Wrestle with my sister and have prevailed. Now, of course, she was doing it through a, a surrogate, uh, her, her, her handmaid. So she called his name Naphtali. And the name Naphtali means my struggle. And again, it just, uh, it's the idea of I'm struggling not with God so much as I'm struggling with my sister, although there may have been some, some of those kind of uh, struggles as well. All right, so now Leah gets back in the picture. And when Leah saw that she had ceased bearing children, she took her servant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Notice, he said, well, if my sister Rachel can do it, then I can do it too. So Zilpah, I want you to go in to, uh, to Jacob. And Leah's servant Jacob, I'm sorry, <laughs> Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a son. And Leah said, good fortune has come. So she called his name Gad. Uh, Notice also the, uh, the name Gad there means good fortune. Uh, notice the names that now that, uh, that Leah is using. It's not that, you know, God has, has looked upon me, God has seen me, uh, God has heard me and has given me a son. At least my husband will be attached to me now. My husband will love me. It's none of that. It's just... Good fortune. It's like, well, I'm still, uh, I'm still ahead in the contest here. Leah's servant, bores, uh, servant Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. And Leah said, Happy am I, for women have called me happy. Notice, here again, here's that thing not only of looking for love, and she's looking for it in, in the wrong way, but instead of depending on God for that sense of security, she's looking for a sense of significance from other people. She knows she's not going to get it from Jacob. So she's looking for it from other people. Notice verse 13. Let's read it again. And Leah said, Happy am I. Incidentally, the name Asher, which is the name given to that child, is happy. Happy am I. Why? Why am I happy? For women have called me happy. Notice, not because I am happy so much, but women have called me happy. They consider me as happy. See, this, this whole thing of the way people viewed other people, particularly women in that day, was, uh, was extremely important. In the days of, uh, in the days of wheat harvest, uh, now, if you uh, don't lose count, by this point, Jacob has eight sons now. Uh, uh, let's see, two, no, four by uh, four by Leah, uh, and four by two surrogates. In the days of wheat harvest, Reuben, you remember who Reuben is? Remember? Yeah, that's right. Reuben is the firstborn of Leah. It says, Reuben went and found mandrakes in the field. Now, what are mandrakes? Well, if you look that up either on the internet or in the dictionary or wherever, a mandrake is a plant that's associated with mystical properties such as fertility and aphrodisia. Now, there, there is no conclusive evidence that mandrakes works in that way. 
But in that day, it was thought to work that way. It was sort of a superstition. Now, why would a plant that uh, is associated with fertility and also with aphrodisia be of interest to these two sisters? Well, obviously, because Leah would, <clears throat> would be interested not in the fertility deal, she's already fertile, but she would be interested in the, uh, in the aphrodisia, in the aphrodisiac effect that it would perhaps give her husband Jacob some desire for her. On the other hand, Rachel would be interested because of the uh, fertility aspect. So it says, Reuben went and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. Uh, mandrakes were sometimes referred to as love apples. But she, that is Leah, said to her, Rachel, is it a small matter that you have taken away my husband? <clears throat> Note again the competition between these women. Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? And Rachel said, then he may lie with you tonight in exchange for your son's mandrakes. Now, what are the implications of that? He may lie with you tonight. I'm, I'm going to give him permission to, to, to come over there and sleep in your tent. You know, there's an old saying, it's not who rules the roost, it's who rules the rooster. And it sounds like we're getting an idea about, uh, about Jacob's household. And that shouldn't be surprising, because remember, Jacob has grown up in a household in which uh, there was a lot of manipulative activity going on by his mother, Rebecca. Uh, in order to uh, to get her way, so he's uh, he's very much accustomed to uh, to coping with this kind of thing. That's that's one of the reasons that uh, that people uh, who live in who find themselves in abusive relationships, for example, a woman who's in an abusive relationship, and that uh, relationship ends more often than not within a matter of a year or so she'll be back in another relationship and it will be a very similar relationship. And the reason for that is because we develop coping skills and those, so, so we sort of know how to deal with things as they come up. You know, you, the, this woman who's lived in an abusive situation finds some guy who treats her like a veritable princess or a queen. She doesn't, ha she doesn't know how to deal with that because she, she's never had to deal with that sort of thing. She doesn't like getting beat up, doesn't like getting uh, 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 fussed at and cussed at, but at least she knows how to deal with it. And it's, it's, an, it's an awful thing, that the, the thing that will ultimately break that kind of thing is when we begin to see that we need to look to Christ for our solution. We need to look to Christ for the love to fulfill these longings that we have in us. To, to be loved and to experience that kind of love. Uh, yes, it hurts when somebody rejects us that, that we love, but the truth is is that God will never reject us. And we begin to demand that other people provide what in the final analysis only God himself ultimately can provide. So, he may lie with you tonight in exchange for your son's mandrakes. And when Jacob came in from the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, You must come in to meet. Notice, not, uh, it's not, would you like, wouldn't you like to come over my tent tonight? No, you've got to come over tonight. I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he lay with her that night, and God listened to Leah. 
And she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son, and Leah said, God has given me my wages. Now, what are wages? Wages are something that you've earned. So she says, God has given me what I earned because I gave my servant to my husband. So she named his, she called his name Issachar, which means reward. Well, is the reason that this is going on and the reason that she bore a fifth child because God is rewarding her for giving her handmaid to her husband? Of course not. Of course not. She's wrong in this assessment, but she just doesn't see that because she's in such competition with her sister and because she has such deep, deep needs and longings for love that she's just not getting from her husband. And Leah conceived again, and she bore Jacob a sixth son. And then Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will what? Will honor me. Notice, she doesn't have any hopes that he's going to love her the way that he loves Rachel. She doesn't have any hopes that there's going to be any sort of attachment to her like there is to Rachel. But maybe at least my husband will honor me because I've given him so many sons, because I've borne him six sons. So she named, she called his name Zebulun, which of course means honor. Afterwards, she bore a daughter and called her name Dinah. Dinah is the feminine version of the name Dan, uh, which also means judged or avenged. And if you have trouble remembering Jacob's daughter's name, just remember someone's in the kitchen with Dinah, and that'll, uh, that'll help you remember it. It says in verse 22, then God, <clears throat> then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. Notice there's, there's that cultural thing again. The, uh, I'm, look, I'm looked at with disdain. I am an insignificant person because I cannot fulfill my purpose here, and my purpose is to have children, particularly sons. Well, now God has taken care of that. See, we have to be real careful. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold, Paul reminds us in Romans chapter 12. God has taken away my reproach, and she called his name Joseph. The name Joseph, well, let's read the rest of the sentence. She called his name Joseph, saying, May the Lord add to me another son. Notice her response to this is not, Thank you, Lord, for your grace and mercy and opening my womb, the response is, I want more. So again, that's that sort of a demanding kind of spirit. And the name Joseph means add to me. Now, can you imagine uh, if, you're, if your name is Joseph, every time mom calls you to the supper table, it's time to come eat. Uh, she calls out your name. She's saying, add to me, add to me, add to me. What does that mean? It means, son, you're not enough. I need more than you. You're just not enough. You're not enough. You're not enough because of my sister. You're not enough because of uh, your dad. You're just not enough. And ultimately, she would have another child. She would give birth to a child and uh, die in the process of giving birth to him. She would name him Ben-Oni, uh, the son of my sorrow. Jacob would not allow him to be saddled with a moniker like that. And so she, Jacob changed 
his name from Ben-Onai, son of my sorrow, to Ben-Jamin, Benjamin, which means the son of my right hand. So, what do we see? I, I, again, in this incident, uh, these last two sons that, uh, that Leah bears, she, she, she draws the wrong conclusion regarding God, and now her new goal is to is that she will be honored not not that she'll be loved or she'll get his attachment from Jacob but uh that she'll be honored but notice she's using the same strategy and the strategy is well if I can bear him sons at least I'm going to get something from him after 20 years at uh there at Haran uh, Haran sometimes it's called Padan Aram uh when it was time for him to return to Canaan on their way back, a lot of adventures going on there, but on the way back, uh, the word came that uh, after all of these years, after 20 years of being away, 14 years working for the two wives, and then six more years working for the herd that he, that he had that he brought with him as he headed uh, south to go back to the land of Canaan. When he starts back, he gets word that Esau and 400 of Esau's men are coming up there to meet him. Well, the last time he saw Esau, over 20 years ago, Esau had blood in his eyes, so Jacob just naturally assumed that Esau was coming to probably kill him. And if you look in the left-hand column of your notes at that passage from Genesis chapter 33, this is on their way back, and Jacob decides the thing to do is to divide up the folks uh, so that... Uh, Esau and his 400 won't find them all together in one place. It says, And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming and 400 men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants, and he put the servants with their children in front, then Leah with her children, and Rachel and Joseph last of all. Now, no, Benjamin has not been born. He'll be born later on. But Rachel and Joseph last of all. So 20 years later, what is Leah's position? She is still not loved the way Rachel is. That, that has, that's never come to pass. Uh, when we look at the conclusion of Leah's story, we ask the question, did Leah ever get from Jacob the love that she so desperately wanted? And the scriptures really are very silent, although... We do read some interesting words about Jacob uh, regarding his wives. I put part of that in your notes, so I'll just point you to that. In uh, Genesis 48, there, there are three deathbed scenes, uh, essentially, of, uh, of Jacob. And in the first one, well, let's just, let's just read this one, Genesis chapter 48. Jacob is speaking and he says, As for me, when I came from Padan, and that's where Laban lived, the Padan Aram up in Haran. That would be modern day uh, Iran. As for me, when I came from Padan, to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan on the way, when there was still some distance to go to Ephrath. And I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is, Bethlehem. She she died giving birth, of course, to the one that would ultimately be named Benjamin. But notice that years later, years later, Jacob lived to be 147 years old. Now, assuming that uh, that that our numbers are right, that he was around 77 or so when he first went up there, so he'd have been 97 when he came back and. Uh, then he's going to spend some time in, in the southern part of Canaan. 
and then eventually he's going to go down to Egypt uh, because of the famine where he'll be reunited with Joseph and the whole family will go down there. So this is, uh, uh, this is years and years later when he recalls Rachel. You can still hear the love, as it were, in his voice that he had for her. But then when you look at the next uh, uh, scene where all the boys are gathered around him and he's giving them the final instructions and telling them what they're to do. He says in Genesis 49, 29 and following, he says, Bury me with my fathers in the cave that's in the field at Machpelah to the east of Mamre in the land of Canaan. Now remember at this point they're down in Egypt. They've gone down there because of the famine. Uh, and Joseph's been taking care of them. He says, Bury me there in that cave which Abraham bought with the field from Ephraim the Hittite to possess as a burying place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah his wife. And there I buried Leah. And that's all he says. Is he, now obviously he wants to be buried at the same place that his, his father and his grandfather were buried. And that's the, that happens to be the place where Leah was buried, but it's not the place where Rachel was buried. She was buried up around Bethlehem because she gave birth as they were, uh, to Benjamin as they, were, as they were coming back. But it would seem that Leah never really got from Jacob what she so desperately uh, wanted. But we do see something of Leah's legacy. Remember, Joseph, who was the son of uh, Rachel, did ultimately receive the double portion. In that day, uh, when it, say for example in this situation, the man has 12 sons and he's, it's about time for him to die, then what he's going to do is he's going to divide his uh, holdings up into 13 parts. And the, the firstborn is going to get a double portion, and then the others will get a single portion. So uh, Jacob, because of his love for Rachel, had already designated Joseph as, uh, as the firstborn, the preeminent one, the one who was going to get the double portion. That's one of the reasons his brothers, uh, ten of his brothers, were so irate with him and ultimately sold him into slavery in, uh, in Egypt. But it is interesting to note that Joseph, the son of Rachel, did wind up receiving the double portion because when it was uh, uh, before Jacob died, he had Joseph bring his two sons, the two sons of Joseph that were born to him in Egypt, uh, into Jacob's presence, and he laid his hands on those boys, and he blessed them, and as it were, he adopted them. And remember, when the children of Israel later, after they were led out of Egypt by Moses, and then Moses died, and then the leadership fell to, to Joshua, and Joshua led the children of Israel into the promised land, the land of Canaan, and they fought for a number of years, and then finally divided up the land among the tribes. There is no tribe of Joseph. You look in vain for a tribe of Joseph. But there is the two tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh, Joseph's son. So he did get a double portion. But the so-called firstborn of the family was not only to get a double portion, he was also to be the one who was to be sort of the chieftain of the, uh, of the tribe. That did not fall to Joseph. Notice there were, two, there were two of Leah's sons that were very special. One of her sons, Levi, the third son, was the one from whom came Moses and the Hebrew priesthood of the Old Testament. 
And the other son of Leah, the fourth son, the one whose name means praise, the son named Judah, is the one from whom came King David and eventually the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, the Christ, and the one who is King of kings and Lord of lords. So what are we to conclude from all of this, uh, all of this story? Well, our deep legitimate longings originate from having been made in the image of God. We long to be loved, to be loved. We long to love someone. We want to be loved unconditionally. We long to be appreciated and to be considered persons of genuine worth. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with those longings. But we're not going to get that on this side of eternity from each other. The problem is, is that you and I are imperfect people living in an imperfect, disappointing world filled with other imperfect people. Therefore, we are longing for what we cannot have in full in this life. Notice the passage from Romans chapter 8, verse 22 and following. This is from the New International Version. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the chains of pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we, as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, that is, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we don't yet have, we wait for it patiently. See, Paul is saying, one day we'll have this. We'll, we will experience this in full, but not as long as we're in these sinful bodies. Our problem is that we really don't believe that God will provide for all our needs. We think God needs help. We believe that stuff we talked about last time, that God helps those who help themselves. No, God helps those who believe in Him and trust in Him and who wait patiently upon Him. That doesn't mean we live in the passive voice, that we do nothing. But it does mean that we don't try to help God out. And we don't go out on a limb and saw it off and say, well, if you're there, Lord, you'll catch me. No, that's tempting the Lord. And what we, the, the other problem is that we begin to demand that other people fulfill those longings. The longings that in the final analysis only God Himself can fulfill because He is the one who put those longings within us. Notice the passage from Jeremiah 2.13. For my people... Oh, he's talking about believers here. My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water, turned away from the only one who can fulfill the longings that we have, and we've turned to something else that can never fulfill those longings. So what's the solution to all of this? We've got to learn to trust God through Christ. We need to develop new priorities in life. We need to love God. Only God loves us unconditionally. And He loves us unconditionally all the time. And we're to love others. Remember, those are the two great commandments. What are the two great commandments? Love God. Love other people. We need to develop new strategies for living. What strategies? First of all, we need to learn to deny ourselves instead of protecting ourselves. We need to be willing to risk 
being rejected, being stigmatized. Yes, it hurts when that happens. But if I'm trusting in God, I know He's going to take care of me. I'm to delight in the Lord, and He'll and He will uh, fulfill the give me the desires of my heart. And what are the desires of my heart? Those are those deep longings that I have. And we're not only to deny ourselves, we're to serve other people. We're to minister to other people, not seek to manipulate other people to give us what we want that they can never give us, that ultimately God can give us, and we just get frustrated when we can't get it from somewhere else. And then finally, develop new priorities, develop new strategies for living by denying ourselves and serving other people. And then finally, to remind ourselves, remind ourselves that true worth comes only from God. There are two reasons that you and I have great worth as believers in Christ. First of all, because we're made in God's image, even though the image that we bear has been distorted by sin. And secondly, we need to remind ourselves that our worth comes from God because of the tremendous price that God paid for us through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in order to redeem us. See, that's... That's the whole message of Romans, the first three verses of Romans chapter 12. After 11 chapters of doctrine, Paul finally says, All right, now, therefore, brothers, verse 1, present your bodies as living sacrifices. See, sacrifices normally were killed. But he said, you present your body as a living sacrifice. Well, what's, what's the problem with a living sacrifice? It keeps crawling off the altar. We're to present our bodies as living sacrifices. Well, what about, how do we do that? Well, that's verse 2. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You know, the Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. And if so, if we change the way we think, it will change the way we behave. So, we present ourselves to God as a living sacrifice. We don't let the world around us squeeze us into its mold. We seek to follow what the Scriptures tell us to do as the Spirit of God leads us. And then thirdly, that third verse, he says, and don't think of yourselves more highly than you ought to think. See, sometimes when we present ourselves to God as a living sacrifice and we're making some progress and, we're, and we realize that the world is perhaps not having as great an effect on us as it once did, that, that, that we're staying sort of true to the Lord more often than not, then sometimes we get a big head over that. And the Bible says, verse 3, don't think of yourselves more highly than you ought to think, but think with sober judgment. Because we need to remember that the one who gives us the power to live the way that's pleasing to Him is God Himself. So, there are times when we all feel unloved and unappreciated. But the answer to that is not by seeking to manipulate other people, but by ministering to other people and denying ourselves and taking up the cross and following Christ and trusting Him to fulfill those longings that He has put within us that can be fulfilled in no other way. May God help us to do that. You've been listening to Focus on Truth, the Bible teaching ministry of Chuck Bradshaw. Focus on Truth is a non-denominational evangelical Christian ministry to the marketplace. Your gifts to Focus on Truth are tax deductible. For a free copy of our monthly newsletter, Glimpses of Truth, or other information about the ministry, write to Focus on Truth, 
Box 5367, Columbus, Georgia, 31906.